Today's episode of Transform Your Workplace is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn more about Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution or custom HR solutions at zeniumhr.com. Today's guest is Jacob Morgan. Jacob is out with a brand new book today called Leading with Vulnerability, How to Unlock Your Greatest Superpower to Transform Yourself, Your Team, and Your Organization. This is a a very well-researched book. Jacob had tons of conversations with CEOs about struggling with vulnerability. Uh, Jacob himself struggled with vulnerability and really gave us some insights as to what it takes to become a vulnerable leader. Key attributes of vulnerable leaders, the business case for being a vulnerable leader, and how being vulnerable helps organizations lead through change. Hope you really enjoyed this conversation. Make sure to subscribe if you're not a subscriber. Look forward to hearing what you think about the show. Enjoy today's episode with Jacob Morgan, the author of Leading with Vulnerability. Jacob, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. You've got a new book out. It's called Leading with Vulnerability, How to Unlock Your Greatest Superpower to Transform Yourself, Your Team, and Your Organization. Congrats on the book launch. This is a fantastic book, and I know it's going to be well-received. Thank you. I certainly hope so. Uh, That's the idea. (laughs) (laughs) In the intro, you wrote about coming to learn that your body can only handle so much when it comes to stress and just stuffing down your emotions. I know how hard that can be. What was your experience with that? Not a very pleasant one. Um, so to give people a little bit of context, my family came from the Republic of Georgia, which is former USSR. And you can imagine in that kind of environment, if you were to talk about feelings or emotions and share and disclose potentially the wrong thing, you can get into a lot of trouble. My parents are Jews. They were persecuted for being Jewish Um, in the Republic of Georgia, and they didn't live in a place where they felt like they were free. So ultimately, again, in that kind of an environment, you're not going to be very talkative. You're not going to be very open. You're not going to be very emotional, especially with, you know, people in your um, less inner circle, so to speak. So long story short, eventually my parents came to the United States. They didn't speak the language. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any possessions. And fortunately, over the years, they've been able to build a a life for themselves and they were able to take care of my brother and I. And so I'm very, of course, grateful to them. But growing up, I lived a very interesting life because my mom somehow tried to model emotional openness and vulnerability. And my dad was the exact opposite. My dad was this kind of, you know, this tough guy off the Eastern Bloc. And he was very much, why does anybody care about your problems? Don't share your emotions. Don't talk about your feelings. Keep it in. Like it's not anybody's business. And he was always very and still is very much about mental and physical toughness. In fact, even today when I go over to their house, he'll say, hey, Jacob, come outside with me. And I'm like, yeah, dad, what is it? And he's like, how many push-ups can you do? Or he'll be like, can you do, can you do more pull-ups than me? I'm like, dad, you're in your 70s now. Let's get, let's give it a rest, buddy. Yes, I can do more pull-ups and push-ups than you. And he's not, like, that's the kind of mentality he has, right? Uh, like, he, I have uh, two young kids, a three-year-old and a soon-to-be seven-year-old daughter. And even with them, because he loves spending time with my grandkids, but 
even with them, he's always like, okay, don't help them. Your son Noah fell down. Don't help him come back up. Like he's, he's very much that kind of be tough, be strong. There's no room for vulnerability, especially if you're a boy. So even though my mom tried to model this emotional vulnerability, ultimately I grew up as a young boy emulating and watching my dad. So for pretty much my entire adult life, that's how I grew up. That's how I lived. That's how I worked. Didn't let people in, uh, didn't talk about emotions, didn't talk about feelings, didn't believe it was a good thing, thought it was all just a bunch of, you know, I won't curse on your show, a bunch of BS. And um, so what ended up happening was a couple years ago, um, it was shortly after actually I signed the contract for this book. I'm standing in my bathroom and I'm brushing my teeth. It's probably around 7.30 in the morning. It's during the holidays, so around the the Christmas time, um, like December 20th, something like that. And so I'm just standing there brushing my teeth and I get this really weird feeling and it's, it's nothing that I've ever felt before. And my heart just starts beating like mm. out of my chest. It was very bizarre. And you're not doing anything like no brushing no my teeth. No nothing. You're no. just sitting there. Yep. Yeah. And I'm, and this is somebody who like, I'm a hardcore exercise nut, a health nut. I exercise almost every day. I eat healthy. So, you know, my resting heart rate is probably, you know, mid fifties, low sixties. And so if I'm jogging, it'll probably be in the one thirties. And so I'm standing there not doing anything, brushing my teeth. And my heart rate is like, I'm doing a pretty moderate workout. Uh, then all of a sudden my vision gets really blurry and I'm like, I'm having trouble seeing straight. And then I get this, uh, trouble breathing and I get this just feeling of dread. It's like somebody took a gallon of adrenaline and injected into my body. And I was just like freaking out. All right. Hardcore fight or flight. And naturally my inclination is to think, well, this is, you know, I'm having a heart attack and I'm going to, I'm going to be dead. So, you know, I'm screaming for my wife, Blake, and she's with our kids in the morning and, you know, she has me lay down in the bed and then my body starts like twitching and convulsing kind of the way that you would get if you uh, have the flu, you know, the shakes that sometimes you get if you have the flu, I had that exact thing. And so I couldn't figure out what the hell is going on with me. I couldn't get in to go see a doctor because it was during the holidays. Doctors were gone. I tried to go to urgent care, but they said they were filled with COVID patients. And they're like, sir, are you, are you dying? Do you have COVID? And I'm like, like keeled over on the reception desk. Like, please let me go see a doctor. And they're like, sorry, we can't, we can't see you right now. So now I'm really like freaking out because I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't get a doctor. Nobody wants to help me. And I'm just thinking like, I'm just going to die here on the floor. Um, so eventually a couple of days later, I get in to go see a doctor. Um, and the, the doctor does an EKG. She checks out my heart and she's like, you're perfectly healthy. There's nothing wrong with you. And then she looks at me and she's like, you know, you might want to go see a different kind of doctor. And she's like, you know, pointing there for her head. Uh, I'm sitting there thinking, what are you freaking kidding me? Like, you want me to go see a therapist? What kind of bullshit is this? I don't need to go see a therapist. You're out of your mind. So of course, a couple of days later, I'm sitting, talking to a therapist and uh, after a couple of these sessions, what became very clear is that what caused what were these panic attacks was the very fact that I had committed to writing a book about vulnerability, which is something that I didn't believe in. And my body and my brain and just everything about me was like, are you stupid? You literally just signed a contract to write a book where you're going to have to be vulnerable, where you're going to have to write hundreds of pages about vulnerability and you're not a vulnerable person. And so my body did a very good job of letting me know that it didn't agree <laughs> with my life choices. Um, so that was a very, very pivotal moment for me um, because it taught me 
and of course, during that time, I, you know, was freaking out. I like cried in my mom's arms because I'm literally thinking I'm dying. Like I'm saying goodbye to people and I'm like, this is game over for me. And so it really taught me the importance of not stuffing down emotions and feelings and, and that vulnerability can actually be a, a, a superpower. And I remember that in my last book, The Future Leader, I interviewed 140 CEOs for that. And I would constantly hear the themes of vulnerability brought up. And these CEOs would say, we understand the power of vulnerability. We understand why it's valuable, but we also are not practicing it inside of our companies. And they would say, because that there's no, they didn't know how to apply and how to tap into vulnerability inside of their organizations, specifically as a leader. And so I set out with a very basic and simple question to kind of propel me in the direction of writing the book. And that was, is vulnerability for leaders the same as it is for everybody else? Because the way that we think about vulnerability is you talk about your emotions, you talk about feelings or mistakes, you talk about challenges or struggles. And it's true that in your personal life, if you're talking with friends or family members, that could add a lot of value, create a lot of connection, it could help solve a lot of problems. But if we were to do that inside of an organization where we have a very different dynamic, where you are responsible potentially for people, where you're responsible for dollars and cents, where you're actually supposed to be delivering things and accomplishing tasks. Is it really just that simple? And again, getting to leader component, what if you're a leader? Like I'm responsible for the lives of other people. I'm responsible for the fiscal and financial responsibility of a business or a team or a function. Can I really in that position just show up to work and say, hey, these are my struggles. These are my problems. These are my challenges. And the answer to that is no. Uh, vulnerability for leaders is not the same as it is for everybody else. And that's where I interviewed these 100 CEOs and I surveyed 14,000 employees uh, in partnership with a leadership firm called DDI. And, um, you know, we can dive more into why it's not different, but that's what the, the consensus became is it's not the same for leaders. When you had those conversations with the CEOs, did they, they, they obviously said that they're not practicing it inside their organizations, but does that mean they're struggling just like you struggle, you know, having panic attacks? Were they, were they open with you about, Hey, look, I'm not even practicing vulnerability. I'm dealing with the same, like whether it's mental or physical problems. Yeah. And a lot of them, they were trying to practice it in their own way, but it was, it's not like they were all robots, but it wasn't a kind of, what's the best way to put it? It wasn't a part of their overall and general leadership style for, for, for some of them, you know, for some it was, for some it wasn't. And the big challenge that I kept hearing from these CEOs is that they were stuck between kind of two seemingly opposing perspectives and points of view. On the one hand, they would say, well, my employees want me to be confident and competent. They want me to be strong. They want me to lead them. They want me to have a vision. They want me to get them out of tough spots. They want to follow me in the direction that I set forth, right? I mean, those are some of the qualities that we look for in a leader. I want to be inspired and motivated. I want to know that you, you're in control and that you're the best person for the job. On the other hand, these CEOs would say, so my employees want that from me, but at the same time, they also want me to talk about my mistakes, my problems, my challenges, my failures, my personal life. And these are two, two seemingly opposing perspectives, right? On the one hand, you want me to talk about my flaws, my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities. But on the other hand, you want me to be strong and confident and competent and this visionary person um, that, that you can follow into battle, so to speak. So how do you make sense of those two seemingly opposing perspectives? Which one am I? Am I the competent, strong uh, leader? Or am I the one who's willing to be vulnerable and talk about my emotions and feelings? And this was like... This was a very hard thing for a lot of CEOs to, to comprehend and to reconcile. 
What's an example where a leader might be vulnerable, but not actually leading? You bring up an example of this in the book, and I think it's pretty a good distinction. Yeah, it's actually one of my favorite stories. Um, so this story, to give people some context, came to me when I was interviewing the CEO of American Airlines, Doug Parker. He told me the story of Hollis Harris. And Hollis Harris used to be the CEO of Continental Airlines. And it was a struggling airline. And um, in August of 1991, Hollis sent out a memo to his entire workforce of, I think it was around 30 or 40,000 employees. And in the memo, he basically told his employees that the company was struggling, that he wasn't sure what the way out uh, of the struggle is going to be. And he basically told all of his employees the best thing that they could do is to pray for the future of the business. Now, again, this is the CEO of the organization, and he's basically, he's being very vulnerable, right? We're struggling. I don't know what to do. Pray for the future of this business because that's what I'm going to do. And what Doug told me is that this was a very vulnerable thing for Hollis to do. But there was no leadership, right? There was no leadership. And what happened is the day after Hollis sent the memo, he was fired. Now, if we were to imagine a scenario in which Hollis was Jane in accounting or in marketing, and she was a junior level employee, Jane has been at the company for maybe one or two years, and Jane shows up to work one day and says, oh man, you know what? I think the company's going down. It's struggling. I don't believe in this company anymore. Jane's coworkers would have been like, whoa, 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 whoa. Sounds like you're having a bad day. Why don't we go out for lunch? Why don't you take a day off, maybe a couple days off, go for a hike in nature, come back, regroup, and kind of get your head right and get back to work. When you're the CEO of an organization who says this, you create pandemonium and chaos. And so it's a very clear example to me of when being vulnerable for a leader is not the same as it is for everybody else. Now, then the question becomes, well, what do you do? And I interviewed, as I mentioned, 100 CEOs. And a lot of the CEOs I interviewed, it was right in the heart of the pandemic, right? I mean, that's when a lot of my book was written over the past few years. And I would interview a lot of CEOs who were in similar spots. Their companies were on the verge of closing. They were losing millions, billions of dollars. They had to fire employees. They also didn't know what to do. Uh, one of those CEOs was Fleetwood Grobler. He's the CEO of a South African energy company called Sassel. When he became CEO, the company was $13 billion in debt. The banks were about to come and repossess the business. The company was going to be completely owned and taken over by the banks. And he was also in a position where he had to address his workforce. And, and again, this was $13 billion in debt before the pandemic. Then the pandemic happened and things really got crazy for him. And so he becomes CEO and he also, again, has to address his entire workforce of 30,000 employees or so. Uh, but the message that he gives is he gives a very different message. And he says, our company is struggling and we're going through tough times and I acknowledge that. And I don't know the exact steps that we need to take to get out of this, but I have a vision of where I want to go. I have a picture in my head of what this business can become. And if you follow me on this journey, then I think that we can rebuild trust in our customers and in our employees. And if you can help me find those steps to take to get to that vision, then we will be able to turn this business around and see success, which is exactly what they did. Now, Fleetwood's message also had vulnerability. He acknowledged that he didn't know all the right answers, that he didn't know what steps he should be taking. But he also demonstrated leadership by saying that he has a vision. He has an idea of where he wants to go. He rallied his employees to get behind that vision and to move in the direction of that vision. So there is a clear difference between being vulnerable versus leading with vulnerability. Vulnerability, um, to give you kind of a couple of just hypothetical examples, vulnerability is I showed up to work and I say, hey, Brandon, uh, I'm really sorry I made a mistake. That's a vulnerable thing to say. 
Leading with vulnerability would be, hey, Brandon, I'm really sorry I made this mistake. Here's what I learned from that mistake. Here's what I'm going to do to make sure it doesn't happen again. So in other words, leading with vulnerability combines leadership with vulnerability, competence with connection. So what that means is, especially if you're in a leadership role, it's not just enough to talk about the mistakes, the failures, the challenges, the struggles. You have to demonstrate the leadership piece. What are you doing to solve the problem? What are you doing to move things forward? What are you doing to close that gap? What are you doing to learn and grow and become better? And too often, we use vulnerability as a crutch for poor performance. In other words, you're not able to close deals, you're struggling in your role, and you, you might just say, well, um, you know, I'm going through a, a, a tough time, or I didn't have the budget for this, or I didn't have the resources for that, or the, you know, this manager hates me. And like, you just have these things that you start sharing without demonstrating that you are trying to take ownership and control over solving the problems. And that is not a good way, first of all, to be an employee inside of an organization, but especially to lead inside of an organization. What are some of the key attributes for a leader that demonstrates vulnerability? Sure. Um, so the book has eight attributes um, of vulnerability. Actually, can I just, can I go back to one one more point on the kind of the relationship between vulnerability and and leadership? So there are two two points that I want to mention, which I think are very important. So one is there's this kind of grid in the book, which you may have seen. It's like these four boxes. And uh, it plots kind of vulnerability and leadership uh, on them. And so let's just say, for example, you're a vulnerable leader. And so if you're very vulnerable at work, a lot of people might say, well, you know what? I, Brandon is a great person. Um, you know, whenever I feel like, uh, like when I'm hanging out with Brandon, I feel like a friend. I feel engaged. Like he's just such an awesome person. But... I'm not really sure he's the best person to be leading this team because we seem to be struggling in some issues. Productivity is going down. We're not meeting our numbers, but he's an awesome person. Brandon is great. I got this wonderful human connection with Brandon. Similarly, if you're only focusing on the leadership piece, somebody might say, well, you know what? Brandon is awesome. Like Brandon is a hard worker. Brandon is closing deals. Brandon is great at setting the vision. Brandon is great at making sure that the business is, is operating on all cylinders. Like he's just really good from that business angle. But I have a hard time connecting with Brandon. I don't always necessarily feel engaged when I'm with Brandon I because there's not that kind of human piece there. So those are kind of the two, the two sides, right? You want to have the connection, but you also want to have the competence. Now, the, the second, this is why you need both of those things, right? Leading with vulnerability. The second piece of this is there was a, a psychologist by the name of Elliot Aronson who taught at the University of California, Santa Cruz, which ironically is where I went to school. And he came up with this concept called the Pratfall Effect. And the Pratfall Effect is this idea that if you demonstrate high levels of competence by whatever the subjective or objective measures are, basically somebody, like if I would say he's Brandon good at his job, they, somebody would say, yeah, Brandon's great. Like you've demonstrated competence in whatever those metrics and measurements are. If you are highly competent and then you're vulnerable, meaning then you talk about mistakes, then you share failures, um, then all of a sudden you get a bump. You're viewed as more likable. You're viewed as even more competent because not only are you good at your job, but now you're also viewed as being human. So again, that's if you're very good at your job. However, let's say you're not good at your job you're kind of mediocre, you're kind of just coasting, you're sort of in the middle of the pack, like you're not the worst, but you're also nowhere near like a high performer. And now you're also vulnerable. What's going to happen is that vulnerability is going to reinforce your mediocrity. 
And people are going to say, well, yeah, that's why Brandon is not a high performer. That's why Brandon is the middle of the pack. Because look, he's always talking about all the struggles that he's going with. He's always making mistakes. He's always dealing with these issues. Like he can't figure things out. So yeah, that's why Brandon is not a top performer. So you need, in other words, there's no substitute for being good at your job. And this, I think, is a very important message for people to have because you can't use vulnerability as a uh, as a crutch to justify poor performance. You, as an individual, have to take accountability for being good at your job. Now, then the question becomes, well, what happens if you're new in a role? What happens if you're a first-time leader and you don't have that competence? You haven't been able to demonstrate it yet. Does that mean you're not allowed to ask for help? And one of my favorite quotes from the book uh, comes from the CEO of Smile Brands. It's a dental provider. They have around 7,500 employees across the United States. And he gave me this really great analogy. He said, let's say that you are in sixth grade and you keep showing up to sixth grade and you're asking about fourth grade math. Well, eventually the teacher and your peers, the other students are going to say, hey, Brandon, you know what? You keep showing up and you keep asking these questions about fourth grade math, but this is sixth grade. Maybe you should go back down to fourth grade because this is not the place for you. However, if you show up and you're asking about fourth grade math, but now you say, hey, you know what? Um, I'm, I'm struggling with some of these things, but I got a tutor. Um, I'm going to be staying after class. I'm going to be talking to the teacher. I'm going to be solving more problems on my homework assignments because I really want to get up to speed. Um, so just be patient with me and you know I'm going to get there. Now, all of a sudden, people are going to say, okay, well, he, he belongs here, right? Or she belongs here. So in other words, you have to demonstrate that you are taking some action for forward progress, right? You are making a mistake, but here's what I learned. Um, that is the important and critical piece here. So I really want to make sure that, that's get, that that gets put across for people because I don't believe that leaders should be vulnerable. I believe leaders should lead with vulnerability. And again, there's a difference. You want to demonstrate those two pieces of the puzzle, the competence um, and the connection. Um, so let me stop there and see if you have any questions. If not, I can jump into the eight attributes. Okay, so these eight attributes, and I'll just quit, you know, we don't need to like dive into each one in crazy detail, but I can pretty quickly explain, yeah, high level explain what they are. And so where these eight attributes came from is uh, both from the survey of the 14,000 employees and also from the interviews that I did with these 100 CEOs. And I would ask all of them these questions and I would say, well, you know, what does leading with vulnerability mean? What does it mean to be vulnerable? What does it feel like? What are the attributes or the qualities that you think leaders need to have to help unlock this power of vulnerability? And that's where these, and so there's three of them that are for leadership and there are five of them that are for vulnerability so three of them for the uh, being good at your job piece and five of them for being good at the connection piece so let me start off with the three for the leadership piece the first one which we've been talking about quite a bit is competence being good at your job no substitute for that do whatever you got to do training programs take a course talk to people got to be good at your job the second piece of this is self-confidence Self-confidence is believing in yourself and that you have the ability to grow and develop and succeed. You have to have that self-confidence and belief in yourself that you can become better, that you can do better, um, you know, kind of the positive self-talk. That's an important element of the leadership piece. The last component of this is motivation. And motivation is what actually allows you and gets you to do the things that you need to do to close the gap. So for example, um, I might say to you, Brandon, I made the mistake. Here's what I learned. Here's what I'm going to do to close the gap. The motivation is what actually gets you to close the gap. Because I could easily say, hey, Brandon, 
here's the mistake I made and what I learned. And by the way, I'm going to sign up for this course and I'm going to read these books and I'm going to talk to these people and I'm going to implement this process. I could say that to you. Motivation is what actually gets me to do those things, right? So without motivation, really what you're doing is you're just talking. Motivation is what gets you to act on those things. So those are the three critical components for leadership. You got to be good at your job. You, ha- you have to have self-confidence and you have to be motivated to move forward. Yes, for progress. Next, we have the five components of the connection, right? The vulnerability piece. One of them is integrity. Integrity really means having, being a person of strong moral character, being honest, doing the right thing, right? I think we all kind of know intuitively what it means to, be, um, to have integrity. The second piece is authenticity, being the single version of you. Authenticity and vulnerability are not the same thing. In fact, a lot of times people mix those two things up. However, if you were to look at somebody like Jack Welsh or Steve Ballmer or any one of those, you know, classic CEOs out there, they were very authentic, right? Jack Welsh was super authentic. He had no problem cursing you out, throwing a table across the room, throwing a chair at your head, like no problem with that. Was he vulnerable? No. So authenticity just means that you're a single version of yourself. That's an important piece. Next, we have empathy. Empathy is the importance of being able to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, seeing somebody else's perspective, not just your own. Then we have self-compassion. Self-compassion is talking to yourself in a positive way. The reason why this is important is because if you ever lead with vulnerability and it doesn't go according to plan, let's say I share something with you, you use it against me, and it, you know I get in trouble for it, or I get fired, or I get demoted, or whatever. Self-compassion is what allows you to have that kind of safe landing place to say, well, you know, Jacob, you did your best. You tried to repair relationships with Brandon and it didn't work. It's okay. Whereas if I didn't have self-compassion, I would say, God, Jacob, you're such a freaking moron. How could you do this? Never going to share this with anybody else ever again because Brandon totally screwed you over. So self-compassion is kind of talking to yourself in that positive way. It's what allows you to, you know, be vulnerable again in the future. And then we have self-awareness. And self-awareness is really understanding your thoughts, your behaviors, your actions, and also how other people perceive you. So it's important to have all five of those elements for the vulnerability piece and all three of those elements for the leadership piece. You've woven this into the discussion so far, but if you could make a, a business case for why leaders need to lead with vulnerability, what is that? A couple things. Um, I think there, when I think about the business case, I think there's two angles that you could take a look at. One is the angle specifically for the leader. So the, the benefit, you know, why should you do it just for your own career? Uh, you know, and I have a a whole story that I talk about in the book. I won't go through the whole story, but the whole point is that the world in which we live and work has changed. And there used to be a time where, you know, the command and control mentality, being the celebrity CEO, um, not showing emotions was beneficial for you because that's the environment in which we lived. In fact, Fortune used to publish um, a list of America's toughest bosses. And it was a badge of honor to be on, on the cover of that magazine, to be America's toughest boss. And it was a badge of honor to be working for one of those types of leaders. That was the environment in which we lived. That's the environment in which we worked. It was accepted. It made sense. But over the past few years, especially even post-pandemic, our, our world changed, our environment changed. And there's a theory called mismatch theory, which states that attributes and behaviors and values that were once beneficial to you 
become detrimental to you when the environment around you changes. And so look at the environment that we're in now. We talk about things like employee experience and purpose and meaning and well-being. We have this war for talent that we keep discussing. Like it's just a different world. The pace of change is increasing. We have technology. We have complex problems we're trying to solve. Um, you know, we're trying to look for opportunities all the time, uncertain, ter- uh, you know, uh, market conditions, uh, geopolitical issues. It's just a different world. And so in that kind of an environment, you have to ask yourself, are you going to be the type of leader who's going to do the old way of leading and just kind of hope that nobody notices? Or are you going to be the type of leader who adapts, reflecting the environment that we're in? So from a selfish perspective, this is important for you as a leader, just for your own success, for your own growth, for your own ability to lead, for your own career. Because if you don't do this, I can promise you, you're going to be struggling quite a bit in your leadership career. Um, and then we have the, the business case, which is the ROI of why do this for your organization. And here too, where we surveyed 14,000 employees, we found a couple interesting things. And I have some of the stats in front of you. Um, so based on the survey data that we looked at, employees of managers who re- regularly display vulnerability when appropriate, they're almost twice as likely to innovate, develop uh, solutions to new problems. They're almost three times as likely to lead with vulnerability themselves. They're more than five times as likely to trust their managers. When we asked these 14,000 employees a question around effective and high-performing leaders, what we found is that inside of organizations where leaders always lead with vulnerability when appropriate, those leaders are viewed as far more high-quality leaders versus those who are not leading with vulnerability. And the gaps were pretty big. It was It went from... 56% to not at all or rarely to 64% for sometimes, um, 76% for often, and 86% for uh, always. So there's a 30% gap between the perception of high-quality leaders inside of organizations where they rarely lead with vulnerability versus where they always lead with vulnerability when appropriate. And the numbers keep going, right? It's improved productivity. It's improved engagement. It's it's across the board. But in general, I mean, we just need to ask ourselves, what kind of a leader do you want to work for? Do you want to work for a leader who never talk about, never talks about mistakes, who never talks about failures, who doesn't acknowledge their shortcomings, who doesn't ask you about your well-being? Do you want to work for that kind of a person? No. So why would you want to be that kind of a leader? And so I fundamentally believe that leading with vulnerability is the single most important thing that leaders should be doing for the foreseeable future and the single most important thing that we should be teaching leaders to do for the most foreseeable future. You talked to a lot of CEOs probably for this book and for the last book. And one <clears throat> CEO in particular you were talking to, you must have been listening off people you admire, like CEOs you admire, probably the, the famous ones. This person says, every single person you admire has massive insecurities and has made huge mistakes, end quote. What was your reaction to that? I believe that for sure. I, I haven't, I've never talked to a CEO or worked with a CEO or given a talk for an organization where... I felt like the CEO knew everything and could do everything and was perfect. In fact, a lot of the CEOs that I've worked with and have talked with have been very candid that they have gone through imposter syndrome at some point in their careers. Some of the CEOs even I interviewed for the book told me that they have gone through panic attacks, that leading with vulnerability makes them feel uncomfortable, that they get physiological symptoms of like, my heart starts beating, I get shaky, like somebody said, my my voice quivers, like it, it's an uncomfortable thing. So... I don't think that leaders are bad people. I think that leaders are genuinely good people, the vast majority of them. But I think that they were taught outdated ways of leading. And we kind of, you know, we need to correct that 
So I, I absolutely agree with what that CEO shared and believe that we all have insecurities. We all have vulnerabilities. We all have things that we're not good at. We all have weaknesses, but we also all have strengths too. And I think part of leading with vulnerability means being okay to explore what those are. Yeah, so if people are listening and they're thinking that, yep, like I'm in a leadership role, but I could be more vulnerable. What are some realistic ways that they can inch towards being more vulnerable? It's a skill that's like not intuitive for a lot of people. It's not something that they practice on the regular. So like maybe even talk about yourself and how you became more vulnerable because I'm sure you went through a transformation. Sure. Um, so I can give you a couple of pieces of advice. Number one is always to remember what I call the vulnerable leader equation. It's leadership plus vulnerability equals leading with vulnerability. So what that means is that especially, and then we're talking about specifically work context here. Um, you never want to just be vulnerable for the sake of being vulnerable. You also, you always want to figure out how do you add the leadership piece? Um, so if I am talking about a challenge or a struggle, whether I'm talking about a mistake that I made, whether I'm talking about, you know, I'm asking for help. You have to be asking yourself all the time, how do I demonstrate the leadership piece? So if I'm asking you for help and I say, hey, Brandon, I don't know how to do this. How do I demonstrate in that conversation that I am going to have leadership over being able to figure it out in the future? So for example, I might say, hey, Brandon, I'm really struggling with this. Can you help me out? And by the way, after you show me how to do this, I, you know, here are some things that I'm going to do to make sure that I can figure it out in the future for myself. Something so that when you walk away from that conversation as Brandon, you might say, okay, I showed Jacob what to do, but it sounds like he's going to try to figure this out. It sounds like he's, you know, he wants to solve this problem as opposed to like, wow, how come Jacob isn't making an effort here to do this himself? Why is he just coming to me to solve the problem? Where's his initiative? So you always want to add that leadership piece. The second thing is you also want to have the intention. So before you say anything or do anything that has anything to do with vulnerability, you should always ask yourself why. Whether you want to talk about a divorce you're going through, whether you want to talk about a personal tragedy, whether you want to talk about a mistake that you made, you should always be asking yourself, what is the purpose behind this? And whether it's, I want to create more connection, whether it's, I want to create more opportunities for learning and growth, whether it's, I want to be able to solve a problem, regardless of what it is, you need to be able to answer, why am I sharing this? So if I'm inside of my organization and I were in an all hands team meeting and I want to say, Hey, you know, I'm seeing a therapist now, like I'm struggling. I, I want to go see a therapist. I mean, part of you, you need to be asking yourself, well, okay, I want to tell people that I'm seeing a therapist inside of my, like, what is the intention for this? Why would I share this? If you don't have an intention for sharing it and you're just doing it for the sake of sharing, then that's not a good thing. But if you're doing it with the intention of sharing, well, a lot of us have been struggling lately with mental health. We're coming out of the pandemic. I've noticed that some team members on, on my team and inside the organization are struggling. We've been having conversations around mental health. I want to share that I'm seeing a therapist because I want to let my employees know that it's okay to talk about mental health and I want to encourage them to take care of their mental health. That's why I want to share this. Now, all of a sudden there's intention, go for it, right? You need to understand why it is that you're sharing and doing whatever it is that you're sharing or doing. And the last piece of advice I would give is to climb the vulnerability mountain. And the cover of the book is a mountain and it's a, a character that's sort of looking up uh, at the peak of the mountain. And that's done with very much intention because when you climb a mountain, the base is always easy, right? It's always easier to take those first few steps and the higher up the mountain you go, 
the more challenging it becomes. You can make mistakes. Uh, you can fall. You can hurt yourself. But at the same time, the higher you climb, the more beautiful the vistas become, the more people you meet on your journey, the farther out you can see, the more clarity you get. So there's a lot of kind of symbolism in relationship there. So what I always encourage people to do is to ask yourself, what can you do today or tomorrow to lead with vulnerability? What's the easiest thing you could do? Maybe it's um, sharing what you did over the weekend with your family because you as a leader want to show your more human side at work and you want to encourage other people uh, to do the same. Um, you know, maybe you read an interesting book and you want to share what you learned about that and maybe how there might be some implications inside of the work that you're doing, right? What's something that you could do tomorrow? And what's something at the top of that pyramid for you, the peak, something that you could never imagine doing? And once you know what your base is and what your peak is, then you can start to stake, take gradual steps on a regular basis to try to climb that mountain. And I think that's a very simple and practical way for people to begin. Uh, you know, my, I don't advise people to just all of a sudden show up to work tomorrow and be like, oh my God, you know, these, I'm struggling with this and my mistakes and failures. Like, don't do that because people are going to wonder if you hit your head, right? Leading with vulnerability is a gradual thing that you do, not something that you just kind of flip a switch on and that's who you are tomorrow. Yeah. Well said. Jacob, I really enjoyed the discussion. We only touched like the tip of the iceberg on this thing. The book is, it's rich. It's got so many details, a lot of great quotes from a well, well well-researched book. So I I thank you for coming on. Do you want to leave people with any parting thoughts or um, any, you know, anything you want to point them to? Sure. So as far as parting thoughts, the number one piece of advice is just remember this vulnerable leader equation. Leadership, Plus vulnerability equals leading with vulnerability. I think if you can ingrain that into how you engage and interact with your team and with your people, you will already exponentially improve how you lead and the impact that you can have inside of your organization. Um, As far as where people can go to learn more, uh, the book is available anywhere you can buy a book. We created a URL for it, which is leadwithvulnerability.com. And for anybody who pre-orders a copy or orders a copy uh, right when the book comes out, going to get some really cool bonuses. I'll send them some of the CEO interviews um, and give them access to some some cool things. Um, so you can go to Lead with Vulnerability. My email also, if people have questions, is jacob at thefutureorganization.com. Um, and then I think that's that's pretty much it. I mean, I really hope people like the book. I literally gave myself a panic attack writing it. So uh, um, hopefully people can tell. It's uh, a lot of time and effort. Now you could tell. Yeah, you poured your heart into this thing. I, I, I definitely could tell in reading it. Jacob, Morgan, thank you for being part of the podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of ZenMHR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.